today's episode, Last Kids on Earth and the Animation Industry. Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez, and perhaps you can't tell by looking at me, but I am a nerd. I've been a nerd for many years, and I'm good at it. In this show, I'd like to give you tips on how to be the most successful and well-informed nerd that you can possibly be. I speak with interesting people about cool things. Please join us if you're so inclined. This is Full Contact Nerd Interviews, and welcome. I'm speaking with Matt Berkowitz, CEO of Thunderbird and Atomic, and Jen McCarran, CEO of Thunderbird and Atomic. Thank you both for speaking with me. Thank you so much for having us here today, Chris. This is fantastic. We're looking forward to the time together. Me too, me too. So um, I'll start with Matt. How did you get into this business? Oh, by watching a lot of cartoons and a lot of TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I was a total film nerd growing up, mm-hmm. um, and just really uh, for me, it was such wonderful escapism and entertainment, and um, it really sparked my imagination as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, um, from a really young age, I, I always thought like, hey, it would be amazing if there's some way to get involved in the business. And um, I was fortunate to uh, I went to school in upstate New York at Syracuse University, mm-hmm. uh, majored in uh, film and TV. It only confirmed that this seems super, super cool and fun. Um, and it's just been a privilege uh, from there forward to graduate and, and get to work in the business. Did you um, mix mix create creative work and business work or did you emphasize one over the other? You know, it was a, a, a lot of both. And it's been interesting, like as as like we've been, uh, I've been able to progress throughout my career. Um, mm-hmm. And I think anybody in these these kinds of roles, like it, it all kind of melds together because um, the creative is amazing, but it's always like, hey, how do we actually get to the point that we can make the creative? Mm-hmm. And then also, how do we make sure that we're best supporting that creative once it's been released? Mm-hmm. So you end up kind of getting like your your business background on it just in terms of like being able to turn from an idea into something that you can sell and get other people excited about and put all that financing together. And then, of course, just actually like the way to produce it. So, um, yeah, a fun mix of both. Okay, cool. So, so Jen, um, h- how did you get into this business? Well, similar to Matt, I always loved being around creative people. I was in an interesting class from the time I was in grade three onwards, uh, sort of enriched program where um, it wasn't traditional schooling. You know, after lunch, we would lie on the ground and meditate and learn how to play guitar and whatnot. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I had that all the way through high school. I did a, a journalism degree, wasn't exactly sure what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to film school. And, uh, you know, realized quickly I wasn't all that talented myself. I wasn't a great writer. I wasn't a great director. I really wasn't. Okay. Uh, and I got a job as an office production assistant on Reboot, one of the first computer animated television shows. Mm. And uh, quickly found a passion for being around creative people, trying to create an environment where people could do their best work, uh, where you know, every, no one felt like a number. Everyone felt safe where excellent work could occur. Mm-hmm. And that's how my career started, just in a support position in production. Okay. And uh, just, that still is what motivates me today, is trying to uh, work for the artists and create a great environment where people feel they can do their best work. Okay. So, Matt, um, let's talk about uh, the, the, what you have coming out right now, your latest, um, the latest production from Atomic, Thunder and Atom- Thunderbird and Atomic. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like what we can talk about, um, we just uh, recently dropped, um, we've been doing The Last Kids on Earth, uh, a show that we developed and sold to Netflix, uh, and it debuted in 2019, and we started with the movie, and then we did uh, these, uh, uh, or a long-form special, and then we did uh, these these two 10-episode drops mm-hmm. um, for each of the books, because it's based on a book series, mm-hmm. and then uh, just uh, last month, we got to do um, something that we spent like a year and a half putting together, uh, which was an interactive uh, special. So when you go onto platform, um, you actually can can uh, uh, you get a, a series of choices, basically like between a minute and every two minutes, you're hit a choice point throughout the the narrative, mm-hmm. um, and you get to pick what these kids are doing and where are we taking them next, and are we going to turn them into zombies or like, hey, we know we need to get towards June's birthday party, but that movie is show uh, the movie theater is showing a new movie that might be a fun detour. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been so neat to be able to take this property that has existed in 
you know, a, a non-interactive form where we're taking you through this grand story, but now allow the uh, the users to uh, to take control and make the decisions for our kids. Um, so that's been really exciting. Um, and uh, we were really, um, it's a privilege uh, on Netflix when um, they drop new episodes. They have the top 10 list for like top 10 TV and top 10 movies mm-hmm. and the interactive special qualified as a movie. And so when it oh, came okay. out, uh, we actually got to spend a, a few days in top 10 worldwide on on Netflix. So for us, that means, Hey, kids are watching and enjoying it. And that's kind of all about, that's what, that's what we're all about. So that's some of the latest. And then I think just the only other thing in last kids news is uh, next month, the next bit of interactive on that show, we're actually getting to do, we got to uh, make a video game and we've spent the last two years working with um, Hmm. uh, outright games and stage clear studios in Europe uh, to do a full console game. So it's available on PlayStation and Nintendo Switch and Xbox. And um, it's really been neat to, to take the narrative into uh, that form as well. So those are a couple of the, mm-hmm. the exciting things going on. Can you tell, for people who aren't familiar with that, for, with Last Kids on Earth, can you briefly describe what it's about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we always like to think about it as um, uh, like kind of like Ferris Bueller meets The Walking Dead. Um, and it's centered around, it's totally set in like the monster and zombie apocalypse uh, and tons of, it's really like a comedy first and then a bunch of action adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, but really at the heart of it is um, there's a foster kid. His name is Jack Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been a foster kid. He really hasn't found that right family. And then the apocalypse hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually finally finds that family in his group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a really heartfelt story about this group coming together, almost like breakfast club style okay. and not just surviving okay. this, uh, this apocalypse, but really thriving within it and like hey they may be 12 year olds but they can drive cars they can do whatever they want at this point and so it's kind of a big wish fulfillment show um mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's based on uh it's created by max brallier um and it's based on his uh, new york times best-selling book series mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting that um that you you use 80s some 80s films to to describe this kids show so i, I don't know if you have a comment that's that's curious to me so um Oh, all Max, all Max. It's so funny. Uh, it's all ladies references. Like we're like Ferris Bueller. And then we're all about like yeah, Breakfast Club and, you know, Goonies and Stand By Me. Like this definitely has a lot of that DNA. And that's inherent to Max's writing. Mm-hmm. And what I will say that's kind of hysterical is it, it doesn't end there. Mm-hmm. So when we started to cast the show, mm-hmm. uh, Max, with his love for the 80s, um, all of our guest stars are kind of in that generation. So Mark Hamill plays a main character mm-hmm. and Bruce Campbell plays another. And there is a point where we have the two of them together in their last kids characters talking about lightsabers and chainsaws and that of course just made max very very happy when we got to record that um and you know beyond that um catherine o'hara and so i definitely say uh there's a lot of 80s love in there and it's you know just because that that's what really inspired max growing up and so uh being able to tap into it on multiple levels has been really really neat and i was it so it seems to me that having that kind of um interplay would you'd sort of get your older you know your your parents you know, audience, and then you get the kids since it's geared at kids. So it's like you can pull in both those audiences. Was that consciously done or, you know, just. Um, I'd say in general, a really neat thing going on is once we hit streaming content as opposed to just, you know, like a terrestrial network content, um, it opened things up a lot in terms of, and this is across live action and animation, mm-hmm. um, family co viewing. Mm-hmm. And it used to be like you would talk mm-hmm. to broadcasters and they're like, we're trying to fill this bucket, like, girls content four to seven and we need boy and girl co-viewing six to nine and there would be all these themes or we need an adventure show or we need a horror show or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and you try to target those buckets as we've moved into the streaming world and the terrestrial linear broadcasters have followed suit and even pushed it further um everything is now so focused on can the whole family sit around and watch it and enjoy it? And will they enjoy it on different levels? And if we do that, we've really achieved something. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really has transitioned into that. And then it's been really fascinating, obviously, with COVID happening and Mm -hmm. the pandemic and everybody being at home. Mm -hmm. It's really doubled down on that time. And you're seeing that families are spending less time on separate screens and more time on that shared screen. Interesting. And so, and I have more questions about this property, but I'll ask Jen, is there a different property you'd like to highlight since you said you do live action? Yeah, well, this is, uh, we love talking about Last Kids, but Mm. certainly Thunderbird is, uh, you know, we're a global content studio and we create 
own and distribute award-winning uh, factual, animated, and scripted content worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some other points of note around the company are uh, Highway Through Hell, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, widely considered one of the best, uh, most popular factual series in North America, mm-hmm. and uh, Kim's Convenience, which is uh, a great comedy airing on CBC and Netflix. So those are, I guess, two other points of note. Certainly, you know, our, our focus remains quality, keeping quality as our North Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really try to seek content, you know, that can be diverse and inclusive, have some positive messaging behind it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as content providers, especially now in 2021, more than ever, we feel like we have a responsibility uh, to create content where every person, regardless of race or ethnicity, could see themselves reflected back in a positive light. Mm-hmm. And that's another, you know, I would say passion of the company and the content that we create. I'm speaking with Matt Berkowitz and Jen McCarran of Thunderbird and Atomic. You can find more information about their company at thunderbird.tv. If you like this episode so far, please like it and consider subscribing. All of my links can be heard at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. So let me ask, so in your position, um, obviously, you know, Last Kids on Earth is popular, but um, what's your interplay with the creative side? You know, if you see maybe maybe there's a a ratings issue or, or costs are going up or, you know, what's your sort of what's your role in managing that? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the bottom line does matter. We are a business. We're a publicly traded company mm-hmm. on the venture exchange. And, and luckily, we're doing very well. Uh, you know, very grateful to be in a somewhat pandemic-resistant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, really, my focus and the team's focus, we work very closely together, Matt and I and the rest of the leadership team, is uh, to create excellent content, um, you know, try to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And we have certain measures in place so that, the business side remains intact, but you know, truly the secret sauce is if you create excellent content, you create a great culture, you honor each and every artist. So no one feels like a number mm-hmm. people can make mistakes, feel safe. So innovation can happen. And I think excellence happens in a company and the rest really generally tends to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, our company, I think the teams, I have to give them a huge shout out during the last year uh, at a time where uh, a lot of other companies assembled because of our IT and pipeline teams and the fortitude of, you know, all 1,000 employees, be it in Los Angeles, Vancouver, Ottawa, or Toronto, mm-hmm. we were able to successfully get everyone off site. Uh, the teams didn't miss one delivery, didn't create miss create one overage. And um, that just further deepened trust with all of our main partners, uh, which we're so grateful to for everyone for digging in so hard. And I, I think I've read or, or heard somewhere that, um, as you mentioned, animate, animators have been sort of resist you know animation is resistant to what's going on in a sense business wise have you been able to grow the business because because of the conditions Um, absolutely i mean it's fascinating uh there is an animation boom and we were able to you know meet sort of tier one security like disney's who's tough that we work with off-site uh and by being able to work virtually and again not missing any deliveries, really creating more of a seamless workflow. Uh, animation has been a go-to genre. We've seen, we had a lot of inquiries, you know, early on of stuff that might have been planned for live action because getting 200 people on a film set safely <laughs> isn't always reliable right now. Discussions of converting it into animation, as well as our factual division, which is more of a, you know, guerrilla crew of people out shooting the material, watching what's happening, and then the main work happens back in editorial. And we were really fortunate in that both of the two, you know, those are the two biggest drivers of our company could work virtually. And they also check that main hallmark of that, what Matt said, that co-viewing audience, like all of the streamers strategies, they have to glue kids and families because people are less likely to subscribe and unsubscribe when kids and family are glued. And uh, what kids and family like to watch is animation and that kind of documentary style show. So we really have benefited uh, from this time in the world. So back to Matt, back to Last Kids on Earth. Um, some of the stuff you described sounds kind of innovative as far as the um, the viewing or interaction experience. Um, is that the case, or am I 
just behind the curve on what's going on. Um, yeah, it's really neat, actually. So with um, with Last Kids, so Netflix launched this interactive um, uh, type uh, programming a couple uh, a few years ago now, and they initially did it with uh, a DreamWorks show uh, based on uh, Puss in Boots. Um, and so uh, you had two choices as you progressed through. So you would you get to a choice point, your choice A or B, and you're kind of moving along. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know these are. Um, uh, you know, these interactive narratives, when you think about like the, the programming tree behind them, mm-hmm. the more cho- choice points you get, the more that uh, you can flow through all these different narratives. And so uh, Last Kids was one of the first shows on Netflix that you actually can get up to four choice points at any given time. Mm-hmm. So the different endings and like the rabbit holes that we can take you down mm-hmm. are so much further than when this began, where it was like, OK, you can go down this path, you can go down this path but you couldn't like get all the way down those rabbit holes that you can now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the second that you do that, you really then have to think about how are we rewarding the audience? How are we uh, uh, setting expectations and breaking them Um, and things like that. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a privilege and honestly a huge credit to Netflix for building a platform that can do something like this because you can do it at home. You can do it on like, if you're watching it and it's just linked to your TV Mm -hmm. and you have a smart TV, it's your TV remote. If it's on an Apple TV, it's your Apple TV remote. If you're on a video game console, it's your game controller. Um, If you're watching on a PC, there's even like, we had to do different intros for every version. Like there was a point where a character is holding a computer mouse. Um, And then same deal. Like it's, if you're on your iPhone or iPad or any, uh, 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 mobile device mm-hmm. those also then you do it by touchscreen so the fact that you can get out to like 200 plus million people mm-hmm. uh, all who it doesn't matter what platform they're on whether it's on the big screen or the small screen to be able to engage like that mm-hmm. and send them down like so far down these different paths um yeah it it was uh i'd say it's it's pretty innovative and again like huge credit to netflix for creating the platform to allow creators uh like atomic and others to really come in and and, uh push it further than we've done before in another interview i talked about uh right people writing for video games and how many how tough that would be because you have so many options and so many directions you could go and what you described sounds similar to that was the writing task just that much more difficult Oh, absolutely. And you actually nailed it. It is very similar to video game style writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to pursue it that way. Um, Max and our showrunner, Scott Peterson, are incredibly organized. And Max actually had previously written like a choose your own adventure style book. So he knew mm-hmm. about like those trees. Mm-hmm. And then Scott is a big uh, Halloween like fanatic. And so he would, uh, he literally every year, first off, Halloween's his birthday. Scott, I hope you are hearing this and that I said that. Um, and, uh, and then beyond that though, he loves to build haunted houses and like mazes and things like that. So they were both just kind of wired towards it. And then the whole rest of the team from there really like rose to the occasion on it and like wanted to push it even further. So it was amazing to see like our directors and our animators and all the ideas that come in from so many different parts of the team. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it definitely is down that path. And, uh, we're very grateful to have had the leadership we had atop this show mm-hmm. that had some experience doing things like this because they really helped guide us through. Mm-hmm. So, how do you um do, do you test any of any of the scenarios you come up with? You know, with with the test audiences. In this case, no. So we got to take a trip up to Netflix's headquarters. So the, uh, they have their like entertainment office in LA, and then their headquarters are in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And they sat us down and they walked us through some of like the way that these choice points work mm-hmm. and like how when a viewer watches it the first time, they may react this way. Mm-hmm. But then when you get a repeat viewer, because they know the way that the show goes, they are willing to make very different choices that provide a very different enjoyment for them. And I can't say any more beyond that, okay. but I, but what I can say is there are definite behavioral uh, moments that you can tell the way that the patterns are going to go. And even um, that just helped us for our planning of like, okay, so we know an audience is going to want this type of scenario, but we also know, you know, a, a loyal fan base that's going to come back and also, Hey, we failed. We want to start over. We want to try to make it through. Mm-hmm. Um may want to make some of these alternate choices and that came into play. So I'd say we kind of got feedback based on ones that were done before it mm-hmm. to help inform how we were structuring this. Okay. And, and Jen, let me ask you a question about um, your interplay with, with say Netflix or anyone else who, who buys your, your, your work. Do they, um, 
I guess the question is how, how much do they influence the the development of a property? You know, let's say they want it or they have it already. You know, is it how do you manage? How do you keep them at bay and also accept what's what works with your team, so to speak? Do you understand? Do you follow? Yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 I think I'm going to toss this one to Matt because he, you know, when we're developing a show, Matt's right at the helm of that and selling it. So Matt, you're going to have a much better answer than I do here. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd say this is in general, like across our factual scripted and animation divisions. Like when you're looking for that right broadcast partner, mm-hmm. these places are not banks and they're not screens. It's not just about that. Hey, yes. If they say yes, you can get moving and then you're on their platform or their, or their channel or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, you get their money to help finance the show. But what you get more than anything else is a creative partnership. And the teams at all of these different places are incredibly smart. They're managing a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. They know their audiences. And the best part about when you start like developing a show and pitching it and working with broadcasters on it is taking in their feedback because we're never going to have all the answers. We're doing this in a vacuum. And then they're coming to the table and saying, hey, we loved these elements. We didn't necessarily love this element as much or we love this, these elements. And for us, this piece just wouldn't work given our even if we like it, it wouldn't work given our audience. And then they always come in. For us, we look for that creative collaboration where they're every bit as excited as we are, but they're also pushing us and getting us outside of our comfort zone and doing new things that are only going to elevate that further. And I'd say across all of the content at Thunderbird and Atomic, we're really privileged to get to work with, um, you know, broadcasters who really bring it on that level. So you really, you welcome that feedback and you always, you know, it's, it's not like a, hey, now there's too many cooks in the kitchen. It's actually more like, every bit that they're doing is really helping elevate what, what we're up to. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, pushing, pushing you out of your comfort zone. Um, as you, as you work on this, do you, are you, at what point can you rest and say, okay, we can ride this idea for a little bit. And at what point are you like, okay, we've, we've got to innovate again. We've got to push the envelope again. You never rest. I'd say like when you have some momentum, it's like, now how do we double down on that? And then once you've doubled down, how do you double down on that? Look, the audience around the world is incredibly smart and they have a wide range of choices of programming to watch. I mean, we all experience it, right? Like any night where you're like, okay, now it's that time I'm going to turn on the TV. What am I going to watch? It's no longer about just getting your content made. It's about getting it to that audience. And so I think that you have to constantly stay ahead of the curve and you really have to own that the audience is really bright mm-hmm. and you have to keep them on your toes. So it doesn't matter what type of show we're doing. Mm-hmm. If we're not constantly elevating, you don't get shows like, you know, so many of our, our shows at our factual company, great Pacific media, we're talking about season eight and season nine and whatnot. And you have to keep it fresh for those audiences. And it's incredible to see how the team manages that. Mm-hmm. And Jen, this might, Maybe a question for you, but so I had, um, I interviewed an author and, and she said that, you know, in the past you could write your book, put it out and you could wait to see how well it did. But now, you know, in today's environment, you put the book out, you can see immediately the numbers, how well it's doing, you know, it's sink or swim within the first week that you've published it. Is it sort of the same with, with, uh, this industry? You know, do you get, do you get immediate, I assume you get immediate feedback you know, and how does that sort of affect your thinking or your decisions, that sort of thing? It's interesting, as you know, the world changes, certainly on traditional broadcasts, which we still do a lot of work with, like Discovery Network, History Channel and whatnot. The second your program airs, you're getting instant ratings. Mm-hmm. Who watched it? What demographic? Uh, you know, social media is a huge uh, instant update. If you post a clip of something, you're seeing all the comments. We like it. We hate it. You know whatever it might be Mm -hmm. on the streamers. It's certainly very different in that uh, we, we get updates at certain periods of time, uh, but it's very confidential. The, the information and sort of looked at, uh, you know, how, what was the completion rate? Did they view 90% of an episode, 90% of a series Mm -hmm. and we'll get an idea, but very little context. And that's because the, you know, those numbers are so proprietary uh, to the streamers that they, they, you know, even as creators, you don't get full feedback the way that you did in traditional broadcast. Mm-hmm. Is the, is your revenue basically, you know, your, your product is purchased and that's that, or is there, do you get ad advertising revenue or, you know, how do you, how do you earn your money? <laughs> yeah, no, great question. 
every every show is almost like its own business. You know, when we start a show, we open up a company for that show, mm-hmm. and they all take on different dimensions. So it's really hard to kind of you know look at them in a cookie cutter fashion, which drives the analysts crazy because they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out the the value. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we make money making the shows certainly. And then, you know, when you have a show, we've got kind of three buckets of business, IP, service, or partnership. When we have IP shows, we own the copyright. Mm-hmm. And then, get the, you know, you get a chance to uh, distribute it around the world. After the period of exclusivity with your broadcaster comes back to you, you can sell it around the world. Uh, you can set up a toy line, video game line, just like we have with Last Kids. And then you, you know, then you get these great forms of recurring revenue mm-hmm. um, and, and possibly it can be transformational for your company. I mean, you can't make a hit happen, uh, but certainly every time we get up to the plate, we're trying to hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the reason why Hasbro bought E1 for $4 billion US dollars last year, it was because of Peppa the Pig and PJ Masks, which is, you know, so the power of these global brands can be massive, mm-hmm. but there's no guarantees, you know, that, that the stars and the moons are going to align. So it's still an incredibly healthy business regardless of that giant hit, but would a giant hit be transformational for us in terms of revenue? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is syndic- How much is syndication an aspect of what you do? Is it- you know, increasingly less, I would say. Certainly with Kim's Convenience, we've got five seasons. There's a chance of syndication. But um, as much as all of the streamers are creative companies and there's amazing creative teams within, their technology companies and their data analytics show that uh, they constantly have to refresh content to glue subscribers. Mm. And so uh, the days of, you know, sort of episode, you know, season 10, 11, 12, the way we would see of Seinfeld or SpongeBob or whatnot mm-hmm. are, are more limited. Unless something's an absolute breakaway hit, uh, the data analytics are showing all the streamers, uh, more fresh content is what glues people. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say is the biggest surprise in the industry? Would be the biggest surprise to people in the industry right now. Is there something out there that you can mention? Matt, do you want to take a stab at that one? I'd say the emerging players and who you would expect to be your major players mm-hmm. certainly are still there, mm-hmm. but the the rate at which it's changing and yeah, I'd say the emerging players and that it's, you know, just just because you're a big name already as a, as a platform or whatever doesn't necessarily mean you're the biggest buyer or the most active group. Um, and I'd say, yeah, I'd say the emerging players and the opportunity to get your, your content across so many different platforms is very different than it used to be. Like you would be on one home, one channel, and that's your run. And even if you go to syndication, you're then typically back on that channel or, Hey, if you're Seinfeld, you're gonna do whatever you want. Um, but, uh, but I'd say that it's, it's really interesting now. Like you can have a show that is like, hi, we're on Disney plus and we're on Netflix and Hey, we're on Hulu too. And then we're on terrestrial programming. So like that's happening because there are emerging players and there's different ways because syndication is no longer as big as it once was Mm -hmm. other ways to finance shows and put them together. Um, I'll give an example. Alvin and the Chipmunks, very big kids show. Airs on four different networks in the UK alone. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that stuff is really, um, I think, lesser known about that. That is a key part of how you put things together. Absolutely, and it's interesting. Like to Matt's point, uh, you know, things were heating up before the pandemic with all of the, you know, Apple coming online, Disney Plus, uh, Peacock, and these are not startups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are major, major global players. Uh, and then, of course, once the pandemic hit, again, people are, everyone's now at home watching even more content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, Matt and I thank our lucky stars every day that we get to do what we do. And never has there been a better time to be in content. When when I first started out, you were trying to get, you know, Saturday morning cartoon slots. <laughs> so mm-hmm. everyone's buying for like that coveted 8 a.m. till noon. And right. now you can watch content anytime, anywhere, on any device. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's constantly shifting. So would um, in your position, do you just want to get your 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 shows on every platform possible, or do you sort of say, I want to kind of hit these groups and maybe avoid here for some reason, or you know, balance it out in some way? Yeah, you want the right you want the right mix, and not every show is for every platform. So you're really thinking, who's the audience? What are we trying to get through? And you know, I you know, Jen spoke to this a little bit earlier. Like we really hope. Um, 
no, we're not saving the whales. We are making entertainment. Mm-hmm. But we really hope that the stories that we're telling across all of our uh, divisions are hopefully inspiring. And, um, you know, uh, we tell a lot of coming of age stories or a lot of hidden hero stories across all the divisions. And, you know, we, we hope that when you walk away, you feel a little bit better, whether it's that that bit of escapism or even just like, hey, I'm ready to go take things on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for us, we always look at each piece of content and think, who are those ideal partners and where are those eyeballs? Because every platform serves a different audience. And we just try to think about what's the core audience for this show and who are we trying to get out to? So certain shows may be perfect for one platform. And then we're like, Hey, you know what? We love you. And we do a lot with you, but Hey, it'd be really great if these folks said yes this time because of where the audience is. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Matt Berkowitz and Jen McCarran of Thunderbird and Atomic. You can find more information about their company at thunderbird.tv. If you like this episode so far, please like it and consider subscribing. All of my links can be heard at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. So what about someone who's trying to get, uh, this question is for people who are watching and they're like, how, how can I do this sort of work? How can I write and create for a company like this? Like what sort of paths do people follow to, to get here? Jen, do you want to take that one? Sure, yeah. Why don't we tag team this one? I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you look at even just Matt and I's experience, he, he, there's lots of different points of entry. Mm-hmm. I think for people looking to get into it, just get into the business. Once you're in a company, once you get that first job and you work hard and you have a great attitude, mm-hmm. anything's possible. Um, you can then, you know, declare, I would, uh, you can see how the company works and I, I would like to get into writing, get to know the writing team. I know storyboard artists, so went on to great things and they did it because they were PAs that hung around till 8 p.m. at night when everyone was working and they started to get the odd panel handed to them. Mm. Uh, you know, so I think the biggest indicator of success in this business is fantastic attitude, work ethic, you know, a passion for what you're doing. Find an entry point. Don't be precious about what you're doing mm-hmm. and then start to declare what you want to do and it will unfold. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so when we broke off, you mentioned um, the difficulties of doing your work uh, remotely and using Zoom and that sort of thing. Um, Matt, can you tell me how? what sort of workarounds did you develop to make sure things kept going? Oh, I want to give – I'm going to hand this right back to Jen because okay. Jen and the team have done such an amazing job, both in the, like, the animation side and get the animators home safely, but then like – how are like the sets being handled and even on the factual side too, when you're out in the field. So I, uh, that's all you, Jen. Uh, we definitely just, you know, kept our employees safety paramount. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added, you know, technology like Teradici and whatnot that allowed secured VPN portals. Um, and with regards mm-hmm. to zoom, I mean, it has been a challenge. Uh, I think a lot of us have lost our leadership tools. Like, being in a room with someone and being able to really read their body language and how are they feeling? And uh, it's, it's, it's weird. You know, when you leave a meeting with a bunch of people, you kind of, okay, the meeting ends and you walk out, you're kind of, Oh, what are you, you know, having a little chat as you go get a water or whatever. Now it's like, you're sitting, you know, alone in your basement, in your track pants. Yeah. How it went. Uh, And um, so we really uh, have tried to increase our one-on-ones really maintain focus on everyone's well-being, be aware of Zoom fatigue, it's real, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful mm-hmm. tool that's got us through. And I think that, uh, you know, when the pandemic is, is finally over and travel can resume, I, I do think those face-to-face meetings are important, but there'll always be a place for this type of communication. If anything, you know, Matt and I are in different locations and we haven't seen each other in a year mm-hmm. and we're partners and it doesn't feel like that mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all, you know, on Zooms together. And uh, we'll never go back into the office five days a week. Like the days of, Hmm. you know, getting in a box to work in a box, to get back in a box. We will keep our studio space. Uh, We've downsized slightly. We gave up our head office to further optimize, pulled back office services, finance and whatnot into the studio. Um, And those face-to-face meetings, especially creatively, are so important. Hmm. But we've also seen the increased productivity of being at home. So, strategically we're putting together a work from home slash office hybrid forevermore that will incorporate a lot of zoom time so that people that are home that day are still part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's fascinating how the world's changing, you know, back in uh, March of 2020, it was easy to get everyone off site. 
even though you never want to be in reactive mode as a business, it was actually easy because we were all in it together with Disney, Netflix, everyone. We were reacting together. How do we figure this out? Mm-hmm. Getting everyone back in safely and you know with the new world order is is more challenging, but it's an exciting strategic play, and I hope that eventually it'll offer all of our talent more flexibility, more work-life balance. Mm-hmm. A lot of our teams couldn't afford to buy anything. We're in very expensive cities like Los Angeles and Vancouver. Now, if yeah. you have a dream of owning something, you can look further afoot if you're only staring down a commute two days a week. Mm-hmm. So these are really positive things. So you mentioned uh, one point about the secu- securing your property. Uh, and, you know, and I'm thinking in terms of, you know, there's always people want to see the leaked image or the leaked info. You know, it, it, it seems ha- much harder to protect that. You know, it's, there's more of an honor and trust system there with your people. Oh. Very much so. I mean, and when we got to the Disney security rollout, so it was like, when you're working from home, your computer can't be in front of a window, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is true because people can walk by and see what are you working on. And it is, it is, you know, up to accountability. And when we have town halls, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we show, we want to show and share, but we always have to reinforce that confidentiality because it takes one leak to breach our partner's trust. And we just can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I guess you also have to worry about cyber crime in a sense you know people trying to tap in and say oh what's what are they you know because everyone wants that even though you don't get financial reward from leaking necessarily you get the the ego the ego points definitely and this ip to you know a lot of our partners and our own ip as ip creators um that's worth its weight in gold you you don't want that stuff out before you know it's it's really coming out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does that mean you've had to work closer with you know, cybersecurity firms then to, to take care of this? Yes, across all divisions, scripted, factual, animation, we've had to up our cybersecurity internally and uh, firewalls and, and whatnot just to make sure that we are meeting that tier one security at all times. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and forgive me if I don't want to get too deep in your business if you don't want to talk okay. specifics, but do you also have people go and... and to people's work, you know, their homes and make sure that their homes are secured in, in some way, you know? No, because of COVID, you know, well, even you when we have... were driving around delivering computers, uh, we were, um, it was an unbelievable time. Matt was delivering computers. I was delivering computers. We were, everybody, the entire leadership team in Ottawa, Vancouver, Los Angeles, Toronto was, you know, leaving things on people's patios and sort of saying, Hey, $5,000 worth of equipment is now sitting on your patio because you're trying to respect social distancing, but you don't want to leave while it's like hanging out in the open. It was, it's, it's really, um, it's been an amazing time, but now that we've figured it out, uh, and it is working so well, we do see the benefit, but we do miss those in-person meetings to get those creative ideas and going. Mm -hmm. So Matt, let me ask you about, um, sort of how you juggle your, your responsibilities is is less kids on earth that that's not the only show i imagine that you're working on Um, oh yeah we're across a bunch of stuff yeah uh and i'd say the juggling just ties into we work with great teams and i think you know jen and the management team at you know at the company um jen sets a tone at least you know one of the first things when when uh i was fortunate enough to join the company you know jen talks about supporting the talent and supporting the teams Mm -hmm. and so fundamentally everything that we develop and produce we're, we're coming in from a development perspective and saying, do we support that idea? Is that something we're excited about? And two, do we believe that this is the team can pull it, that can pull it off? And if so, from there, our job is to kind of be like those the bumper lanes that you put up when you're bowling mm-hmm. and help support that team and, and uh, you know, keep them on track towards that vision that they're uh, trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, ultimately... Um, yeah, it's a it's a blast. You get to jump from like one show one hour to another show half you know an hour later, and then thirty minutes later you're talking to a different show. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, um, it's it's easy to do because every team has such wonderful leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a team of folks like uh, across our different divisions. We have development departments at each company, mm-hmm. um, and so those folks are also really, really bright and they're in the trenches with all of the specific shows as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, fundamentally we just, you know, trust your teams 
uh, and, and, and find ideas you support and people you believe in. And all of that part kind of works itself out. And then to be honest, I find I more often than not, I'm just kind of like the fanboy in the room being like, wow, I can't believe you did that. That's amazing. We're going to have a lot of fun here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it ends up being really, really pleasurable. Mm -hmm. How has uh, kids programming been changing over the last few years? Are there any trends you can identify or speak to? Yeah, I'd say the number one thing is the world is waking up to just how smart kids are. Hmm. Um, and so it used to be like, hi, we could only give you episodic content. Like, uh, you know, it's going to have a beginning, middle and end in this 11 minutes or 22 minutes. And then we're going to reset and go back to the next. And there's still a lot of that. But we've also transitioned, obviously, in the adult space. We've been doing serialized programming forever and long narratives. And, you know, like um, I always joke, I was a big movie buff. And uh, and uh, into TV, but not necessarily as into TV as I was with movies. Mm. And then Breaking Bad came out and it was like, you cannot tell Walter White's story arc in a two hour movie. You need those 62 hours to go that deep. Mm. And so, um, you know, with kids programming for the longest time, you couldn't tell those kinds of stories where you need to, to, mm. to lay it out over multiple seasons and take those bigger character arcs. But in the last decade or so. Um, there's been a proliferation of that kind of content came from two fronts. One, the old network programming strategy was we want to take these 22 minute episodes or these two times 11 minute episodes. And if we don't have to air them in any order, we can, you know, rerun it at 6 a.m. and then at 5 p.m. And hey, we're going to do an hour block with back to backs mm -hmm. and it can be any which order. So it's really easy to program and, and maximize on the repeatability of that content. Mm -hmm. That was one thing. But then on the other side, streamers came around and binge watching, uh, binge viewing and the idea of going episode to episode really promoted the idea of serialized content. Um, and then just literally the third part is, I think, an understanding around the world of kids are bright. They crave these kinds of stories. And so as soon as one or two of them came out and obviously... Uh, that respected, uh, you know, just how bright these viewers are, they flocked to it. And then everybody else says, hey, we need to do more of that. And that just allowed for the proliferation and really getting it up to the same speed that's happening in adult. Mm -hmm. I did um, another interview with a, a technologist who was talking about how, you know, toddlers and kids now grow up with sort of social devices, you know, mm -hmm. in a way that they're, it's a natural part of their lives, whereas, you know, older people are still maybe they're used to it, but it's not like a natural thing. So I'm curious, do you have any way of, of studying how kids think, you know, at, at this point? Oh, yeah. There's so many data points out there. It's amazing. So like that part we do test and we like really get into mm -hmm. on that side. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's so much, there's so much data out there. Mm -hmm. There's so much data that you can also grab and put together. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's just the like, you know, Jen and I have kids at home. And yeah. for me, it was fascinating. Like I consider myself like a, a pretty big, like tech type, you know, like when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I was building computers and I wanted them to be as powerful as possible so I could play all the latest games. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I was that person. Now it's like a shame. If you put me in front of like a windows PC, I don't even know where to find the start menu. So I've steadily like over time and like, Oh, I've lost, I've lost my touch. But then on the same note, like, my my I have a, a very young daughters and uh, my oldest when she turned two, she's playing on my iPad and I realized like and Steve Jobs said this when he brought it out. But he's like, this is all intuitive. We know the keyboard, the mouse. We've been trained to that. Mm -hmm. But this new level of device is just intuition. And so we're here being like, how do we use an iPad? How do we get to that thing? And then you realize kids are just swiping left and right. They know exactly where to go. They know what to touch. So I'd say that also the technology becoming intuitive mm -hmm. and the kids not having that preconceived notion of what a computer is before that existed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think you, you, you see it clearly. It's amazing. My, to Matt's point, my kids sat down when they were smaller at the desktop and they were swiping the desktop like What's wrong? This thing's broken. You know, the monitor. Like, what? What is this? Like, it doesn't work. This computer's broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that's old stuff. You know, yeah. I'm sorry. Why is the touchscreen not interacting? And yeah. you're like, that's a really good question. Why isn't it a touchscreen in this day and age? I know. <laughs> so, so this question is for both of you and either can answer first. Um you know, so when when you get older, you look back and you realize how much the kid shows you watched 
impacted you and, and, and stayed with you. As you create properties, how much do you think about this might be with a child for, you know, the rest of their life? You know, do, do you even think about that or, you know, what's your approach to that? Jen, do you want to go first? <laughs> Interestingly enough, one of the first uh, producer jobs I was promoted into was a series of Barbie videos. Hmm. And this was kind of like 18 years ago. It was my first producing gigs. And, uh, um, you know, I did three or four of them, um, probably more than that, actually. And uh, suddenly during this pandemic, all these young girls that watched it when they were three or four are now in their 20s. And we worked with the New York City Ballet, Maria Kareski, the principal dancer. We did motion capture, all these neat things. And they're having a huge renaissance of people trapped at home watching movies from their childhood. Mm-hmm. They're still kids in their early 20s. But I've been getting so many letters and there's fan boards and reviews and how these movies made girls feel and, uh, you know, that they've empowered and that used classical music and how they love it. And so that's been a real uh, eye opener to, you know, content can provide, again, as Matt said, we're not saving the whales. But it, you know, what it can provide a healthy escape for people and, you know, really make some nice memories. And when we choose content, we are very conscious of trying to, you know, just send messages that resonate and will create a culture of inclusion and diversity. And so that's been a real world experience just watching the Barbie movies come back. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? Matt? How about content that, you know, honestly, same deal. We think about it all the time. And it's because, you know, so many folks get into the industry for the right reasons. Um, it's not like, you know, fame or whatnot. Like, hey, we're all behind the camera anyways. So we're going to walk down the street and nobody's going to know who we are. And that's A-OK. Um, but like, it really, I do feel like more often than not, folks are getting in the business for those right reasons. And, you know, it's the impact that this programming made on you when you were a kid. And then you absolutely think to like, hey, what are we putting out there? What are we saying? And you really, 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 really hope that like if you get through to just one kid and that story impacted them, that made their day better or they, you know, thought about it years down the line. And then like, hey, I want to go make cartoons or I want to go make a show or whatever it may be. That's what we're in this for um, above anything else. And so, yeah, it's we think about it every day in every meeting. um, And I think that when you stop thinking about that, you probably shouldn't be doing it. How much innovation is there in animation style? Oh, endless, endless. Um, and, you know, it's it's really neat because obviously it initially began as a, you know, a, a pen and paper type medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's gone digital. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the crossover of everything in between. And I am personally blown away. Like every time we bring in a project for development and we say, hey, we like this story and these characters. And then it's like, well, what's it going to look like? And how's it going to feel? And how's it going to move? And what's the pacing and all of that? Mm-hmm. Um, we get to sit down with our, our teams. And this happens, you know, not just in animation. This is just in, in all is like. Um, you then get your creative directors involved and then they bring in everybody under the sun at the studio. Like, Hey, this artist has this idea or whatnot. And we talk about the feel that we hope from the show. And then they come back to us and kind of blow our minds every time because every show is, is custom fit for that. It's not like, Oh, Hey, we do 2d animation. So great. This is a 2d show. It's like, what tools are we going to use within 2d for the storytelling? And what are we trying to do uh, behind it? And what's the tone? So yeah, I find every show um, and Jen says this all the time. So I'm going to steal this phrase, but really uh, uh, stand on the shoulders of the one before it. Mm -hmm. So it's really neat. Every show is innovative for its own way. And that is a blast of a ride. Because there's so much beautiful art out there, you know, and I'm sure there are times when you have to choose, you know, make that choice like between two beautiful styles, you know, is it, you know, what what, quarter, what sort of uh, factors go into making that final determination, uh, assuming the animator is going to do the job and all that basic stuff? Um, you know, we really leave it up to show leadership, like, you know, we're really fortunate that we get to play and be involved in all these shows and, and touch them all and spend time with them every week. Mm-hmm. But there are on all of our shows, you're always a hundred plus folks in the trenches that are touching it one way or another day to day. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that they feel great about it above anything else. So if it's down to those two, Hey, Jen and I are going to be happy no matter what. They both look really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you, the team going to feel and what's going to make you, uh, it most exciting for you the next couple of years while you're making it. Mm-hmm. Do either of you miss being in the trenches? 
Um, or, or what part, let's say, what parts of the trenches do you miss? Either of you can. For me, I do. I, I, you know, I loved the instant satisfaction of being a coordinator when you're uh, responsible for taking care of like eight to 10 people. And um, you could really see the impact of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was, that was exciting. And, you know, being in those creative meetings, I, I do miss that. I don't get to do that as much. Occasionally the, the team will invite me and I, I just eat it all up. I absolutely love it. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm constantly growing in my job. We're all evolving together and it's an amazing team. And, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable a lot of the time, which is good because that means you're growing, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, it's, it feels good when you go back to your teddy bear, which for me is production. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I miss aspects for sure. Mm-hmm. And Matt? Yeah, it's interesting because Jen and I both broke into the industry in the exact same position and worked up from there. And that was just as a production assistant and like got that foot in the door and everything that Jen said earlier, like just keep working and, and put in that time and dedication. So um, for me, I miss when you're like on like day seven of a writer's room and you're like, oh, we really need to crack this. We haven't done it yet. And you're like on, you know, hour five or six that day and you're like, I don't want to say bashing your head against the wall, but kind of bashing your head against the wall. Like, where is that? And those breakthroughs, mm-hmm. um, I miss being in the room for that. That kind of thing is, is you know, just, again, like we, we only get to spend so much time in it. Um, so we we end up uh, not necessarily being in for those, those big spark moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say it's balanced by the reward of watching the team hit that. Um, and, and for me, like, that's definitely been something over the last couple of years to like learn and step away. And, um, you know, a lot, uh, due to the tutelage of Jen and how she was able to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that I, I miss it a bit, but, uh, it's amazing. The rewards on the other side of it. How many, um, seasons ahead in a show do you like to plan out or plot out? Does that make sense? Is that anybody who's telling you they don't think about what the end of the show is, is, is not telling you the truth. We all have a sense of what we want that to be. Hmm. It may not be a hundred percent, but as storytellers, you always think in that three act structure, where are we landing? Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, you're always thinking about the end and it's just a matter of what format can you do it? I'll bring it back to breaking bad again. Um, They knew how they wanted that show to end. They didn't know would we get, you know, 62 episodes and they had versions of it where they're like, hey, if we only get three seasons, it'll go like this. If we get the full five, it'll go like this. So I think it's really important to keep that whole perspective in mind, especially again, when you're doing serialized content, because that allows you to think of the pacing and um, and it really lets you think about that slow drip of information you're getting out or that arc that you're doing. Um, I think you need that. You need to know that end to do everything else right. Hmm. Interesting. So, so you're saying, so what I'm hearing then is that people, that you have a, a plan in place, you know, if the show is going to go short or medium or long, you're sort of thinking ahead and you're ready to hit, hit it however it turns out. Yeah. And you're figuring like, hey, okay, we may not get all the way to this ending, mm-hmm. but even if we get here, we know this is a satisfactory point. Mm-hmm. And hey, let's hope that the network got great ratings and wants to, you know, green light us for more seasons so then we even bake in the like would this be a satisfactory enough ending while still holding out hope for more mm-hmm. um and things like that we we definitely put in would either of you be willing to mention a show that you worked on that you wished had continued and and just ended sooner than you had hoped sure i mean i think uh you know one thing that we did at atomic that um is out in public is Cupcake and Dino, mm-hmm. I think uh, it was a great show that we did with E1 and a young uh, Brazilian creator, and it was from Netflix, and it just didn't find its home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it really wasn't discovered. I think it was a great show, and uh, a lot of people the, thought, felt like it was an adult show, but it was a kid 6 to 11, and I think those characters were great and funny, and they met an early demise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that's one. How about you, Matt? I think that you kind of hit the, 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 the big one there. I think that was just one where it was so exciting. And then it's tough because like a show like that, okay, it met that early demise. And then now it's gaining this following of like, hey, that thing was really neat. Um, so maybe one day we'll get that like family guy experience where it'll come back years later. But uh, yeah, that I think is a great example of it. So, so Matt, I don't, I, I don't want, that feels like kind of a cheat. I want to hear one that, that really hits home for you, a different one, if you're willing to, um, to share with me. 
I'd say uh, Kim's Convenience is just a wonderful show that Thunderbird has done over the years. And we've hit a point where um, uh, narrative wise and whatnot. Um, and, you know, the the uh, the talent feels like, hey, we've told a wonderful story and it's time to step away. And I agree with them entirely. Um, it is wonderful. And on a high note, you're kicking butt. You're telling amazing stories. You have this incredible family story, but I'm also like, oh, geez, I feel like we could have done like five more years and we would have found more stories to go with it. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's one where um, I'm so proud of how it's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And and uh, for me, I haven't been actively uh, involved with that production. I've moved into my role while that's been going. So I Mm -hmm. follow it as a fan. Mm -hmm. But I so appreciate that. They're like, no, we're just going to end this on that high note. Like, we won't see the regression. We're just going to leave you with, like, the the strength of the show. So I get it. I get it. But I'm also like, ooh, I would have happily watched a lot more. You're a real fan of the show. Because the network wanted more. You know? So that's this industry. We could have had more seasons. But the creative, in Troy, the creator said, ending on a high note. And we got to stand behind our creators. That's what we do as a company. We work Mm. for the creators. They're saying that we're going to get behind them, but I'm—that's such a great example because that's right at the heartstrings. Hmm. That's pretty refreshing to hear, actually, that um, that the creators do have that kind of input. Um, yeah, and yeah. I guess I'm not surprised. So, this is a bit of a whimsical question then for both of you. When you when you were younger, uh, was there a a power, technology, or fictional setting that you yearned to be part of or to have? What drove your young imagination? I'll jump in. I uh, I think it's still there. Like I always wanted to fly. Hmm. I know this is a little bit silly, hmm. but like my number one recurring dream in life, still as an adult, is the same one as when I was a kid. And oddly enough, it like it's the blockheads from Gumby are in there. Hmm. Um, but it was I was scared of them because they were the bad guys in the show. Hmm. But I could fly away from them. Hmm. And to this day. I still have that dream and I am still like, oh, it would be really neat to fly. And like, I just wrapped up watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney Plus. And like that finale is kind of exactly why you wish you could fly. Like that was pretty rad. Um, So yeah, that's mine. (laughs) Okay. And Jen? Oh boy. I think, uh, I don't know if this is exactly the right answer, but I I loved The Lion King growing up. That was my all time favorite movie. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's still a dream of mine to, to get, you know, to um, a safari or uh, really see those types of animals in the wild, the lions. And I used to, you know, think about it, do projects on it. I think I did a science project on lions based on that. And so that's still on my bucket list due to the Lion King. That, that Yeah, that that's perfect. Um, and actually, I had a question about to step back to the business side a bit. I know, you know, kids programming used to focus a lot on selling to kids, you know, toys or cereals and that sort of thing. Does that, how much does that impact what what you're doing now? Is product it's placement? Pretty, the reality of our business, you know, we do a lot of work with toy companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did Mighty Train Express, Express as a service show for Spin Master. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the creators of Paw Patrol, uh, uh, just a topical example. And Certainly, um, selling, you know, toys and merchandise is a big, that's a very, very large toy company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I will say has shifted is that content is first and foremost, you know, echoing back to what Matt said, mm-hmm. kids are smart. No one's going to make an, uh, you know, 22 minute commercial mm-hmm. uh, and expect that to resonate. Uh, people just the way as adults, why do we like shows? Because we care about the characters. There's something sympathetic. We, even when they're bad characters, like Breaking Bad, you you're rooting, you know, because you, you you find a way to care. And so I think no longer is it just sort of a long commercial being fed. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the content has to matter, the characters you have to care about and identify with. Um, but that is a real element of, of the business is there's all of the merchandising, um, you know, potential alongside of these shows. Mm-hmm. And the last kids on Earth, it has um, it has a bunch of stuff, a bunch of crossover kind of items and stuff, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, what what are some of the yeah what what are some of those? I think I I forgot what some of those definitely. Are. Well, first and foremost is obviously the books because that's where this all started, mm-hmm. um, and that has only kind of grown since the series came out. Um, but then we also were able to do a full toy line with uh, Jack's Pacific, which I just have to say was like one of the coolest experiences because like our teams got to work with their team to like have a conversation about, Hey, what makes sense? And what are the play patterns of the show and what would kids really want to do? And how do we heighten that experience at home? Mm -hmm. Um, And getting to work hand in hand 
collaboratively with the toy company like that versus just like, hey, we want that and we're going to put it on shelves and cool. That was a wonderful experience because it really felt like it was a collaboration to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we got to design a whole uh, T-shirt line uh, with Hot Topic. And that was really neat as well was think about like all the stylized art from the show and what can we do that, you know, you wouldn't expect um, or that could be extra fun for the fans getting away from show style. Um, and then lastly, the video game. Yeah. You know, same deal. It was like, and the best was like Max, the creator was like, okay, we're going to treat this just like we would a season on the show. And just like we would a book. What is that big story we're telling here? What new part of the lat? like, we're going to play within the canon, but what new things, what new villains, what new uh, dynamics can we set within it? And so that has its very own, like full on full fledged last kid story as well. Mm-hmm. So those are our, our kind of like uh, chief uh, uh, brand extensions. Now, are you the one who sort of organizes all, you know, connecting all these different branches or is there another team that works on that unifying, vi- that unified vision? Oh, that's our team. And it's so neat. It's so cool to get everybody collaborating. Like as an example, when we went live uh, for our, our debut uh, special in September 2019, mm-hmm. we lined up and Netflix was was uh, a great partner in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a big thing with Max Early was he has an amazing book publisher in Viking over at Penguin Random House. And they were so collaborative and so looping us in to like all of the things that they did on the book side, because it was already a New York Times bestseller. They'd already sold millions. They had their cadence and their rhythm of how they marketed it and how they got in front of kids and how they made sure to get as many eyeballs on it possible because they knew, hey, once kids start reading, they're going to be all in. So they were always amazing collaborators from the start. And it was really exciting to have that on the series. And then we said to Netflix, like, look, these books come out in, in September and April. It'd be really neat if we could align that and boost both. So like, you know, when that series went live on September 2019, it was day and date with the with the fourth book of or the fifth book, actually, of the series. And that was so neat to be able to do. But then beyond that, we also made sure that in the books all around the world had the, you know, only on Netflix sticker. So you knew, hey, I'm reading it and there's a show coming out on Netflix. Awesome. Uh, same deal. When we launched our interactive special, it was the same day that the graphic novel, uh, the first graphic novel in the series came out earlier this year in April. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to that, we were like, OK, on the video game side when's the right time to drop we felt it was like hey the brand's been out it's uh it's got exposure a lot of kids know about it and so we felt like let's use the boost of everything in april and follow up two months later with the with that release so yeah we get to uh work with all of these different groups to coordinate it Mm -hmm. um but and so we end up kind of as i'd say the the center group uh helping facilitate that but you only get it with great partners who all want to work together and collaborate with one another so um Mm -hmm. i'd say it's it's we get to coordinate it but it's all because of the the partners who are willing to uh work together that's a long a lot of long-range planning on your part especially since you work on different shows um a lot of moving pieces to keep track of. Yeah. But you know, again, we have an amazing team and like, this is the most fun thing possible. We're happy yeah. to sit around and riff on this. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any, um, future projects either with last kids on earth or, or other projects that you might want to mention right now? Yeah, absolutely. We're actually working on our follow-up with Max right now. Um, we've been developing his Erie Elementary book series into a, uh, uh, a show as well. And this really gets us with Last Kids. It's like adventure thrills and comedy. And this is like we are exposing kids to like horror. This is the show that you mm. want your kids to watch before they go watch Stranger Things. And so we just finished up developing it and we're chatting with a bunch of networks about it. And um, it's a blast to think about how we're taking things to the next level there. We also, uh, on the factual side, uh, got to partner up with What If, um, which is this massive, massive uh, channel with, like, like, Jen, I think it's well over 100 million views on pretty much most all their videos um, that for us on the factual and scripted side is an incredible opportunity to move forward with. Yeah, and then there's a lot of shows uh, that we can't talk about because we've already set them up and they're in production mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to be announced like imminently. Um, so uh, yeah, there's, I, I think uh, between the different uh, uh, branches of the company, probably north of 10 shows that we, we can't quite talk about yet, but uh, nice. really are, are excited. For folks. Announcements coming. Okay. And, and did you want to add anything, Jen, or was that, did that cover it? <laughs> that oh yeah, no, Matt, 
summed it up perfectly. I can't wait. You know, hopefully we'll regroup again, Chris, and we can tell you more about what's going on. Because as Matt said, the, yeah, stay tuned. There's some really fun stuff happening. The teams are doing amazing work. So tell me the um, places on the net people can find, you know, all the different stuff available to them, websites or social media or what, what have you. Yeah, at Thunderbird.tv, you'll find links to Atomic Cartoons, which is our kids and family division, and Great Pacific Media, which is our factual division, as well as, you know, Atomic Cartoons and Great Pacific Media. But, you know, if you go to Thunderbird.tv, you'll see all of the company's work, all of the divisions. Um, and it's worth checking out the individual sites. And we spent a lot of time talking about Last Kids. It's really um, all of our animation works featured heavily on our Atomic site. And we have social media channels, you know, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, we're, we're everywhere. Does The Last Kids on Earth have its own uh, website or, or, you know, single it, or spot? Oh, yeah, I'd say, you know, uh, and just to, to round it out, um, you can find both Thunderbird and Atomic Cartoons, uh, you know, basically through Thunderbird.tv and then Atomic Cartoons. That's pretty much our handles on every social media. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, we're, we're all over all of that. Um, and then, yeah, Last Kids, if you go to the lastkidsonearth.com, it's got its own website and we set up our own YouTube channel and our own, you know, verified Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff for it too. So yeah, I'd say uh, pretty much all of our shows, uh, definitely check out our main website and see the full library. Mm-hmm. And then any show that we have uh, has its own like subset of, uh, of handles and whatnot. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, well, that's all the questions I have. Do you have any parting thoughts or words, either of you? No, just uh, really enjoyed the conversation, and yeah. it's been fun doing this with Matt. And you've certainly, again, we're really super grateful to be doing what we're doing and to have had this opportunity to meet you and, and talk about it. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, thank you. And, and Matt, any? Uh, no, no, just echoing Jen. Chris, thank you so much for having us on here. What an awesome conversation and, and great questions, and uh, we really appreciate your taking the time to connect with us. Yeah, yeah, thank you both. I, I do appreciate it. In the next episode, I speak with Jean Doucette, about the Apocalypse 7, an apocalyptic science fiction novel. Hit the subscribe button to catch that episode. Thank you for listening to Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want more interviews with writers and creative people, or to get daily fiction suggestions including sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, sign up for my newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com and follow me on Chris Alvarez Full Contact Nerd on YouTube and Chris Alvarez FCN on Facebook and Twitter, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi on Instagram, and this podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want to hear interviews with military historians or get daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and follow me at Warscholar on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, at Chris Alvarez Warscholar on Instagram, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want to hear interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyinspace.com and follow me at Spacewalks Money Talks on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Spacewalks MT on Twitter, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you again soon. Keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.